Welcome to the Bridge Podcast. Are y'all any anybody in here a um, a hot tea drinker? Anybody a hot tea drinker? Y'all are like the sophisticated people. Um, I don't like hot tea. I don't know. I guess it's just because I'm from Texas, so I like you know iced tea. Although I'm not a very good southerner because I don't like sweet tea. I think it's disgusting. Um, it's just diabetes in a glass. But at any rate, um, hot tea drinkers, y'all are like the classy, sophisticated people. I've tried to switch off a of coffee and go to tea because I get, uh, I'm already a ball of nerves and anxiety and I don't need that much caffeine. So somebody's like, you should switch to hot tea and I can't get into it. But in making hot tea, uh, you little hot tea makers over there, you know there's really one or two ways to do this. Um, this is groundbreaking stuff. I meant to have a tea bag up here with me, but I don't. Sorry. So just imagine. Now, there's one way of doing it, which is you pour hot water in this glass, this coffee mug, and then you take the, the tea bag and you dip. I don't know if any of you are tea makers do the dipping um, thing, and you just keep dipping. And some people I've noticed actually do this. They dip. You know, it's like this thing that they do. I think they think that makes them look, I don't know, cooler or whatever, but they just dip over and over and over again. This requires a lot of, of human effort. We call these people the dipper, right? So the dipper, this requires a lot of human effort. I guess it's fun, kind of. I mean, you're making tea and you're just dipping over and over and over again. And eventually it will become tea, but it requires a lot of work on the person making the tea's part, just dipping, dipping, dipping. Now, um, the thing is, is that I think probably a lot of Christians kind of, uh, or uh, maybe I should not use that word, people who kind of maybe say they're Christian, think of their spiritual life that way in that like maybe their life, maybe maybe you go through something hard or something difficult or something's bad in your life. And so you go, oh, shoot, you know, now I've gotten off track. I need to dip back in. And so you dip in on a Tuesday night or you dip in on a Sunday morning or you dip in on a home group and you just kind of dip in and out every now and then you dip and you kind of get a little bit of good from that, you know, and that makes you feel good enough. And then you just go off and do your own thing. But it's a lot of effort to just kind of dip in and out and try to force change yourself. That's a lot of human effort. The second way to make uh, hot tea would be to simply put the tea bag in this glass and then pour hot water in the glass and then just let it sit and let it steep. And you don't have to mess with it. You don't have to stir it. You don't have to pick it up and do it. Like that's just you being obnoxious, making sure everyone knows you're drinking hot tea. You know, you don't have to do anything. You just let the bag sit in the water and it steeps. And over an amount of time, the presence of that tea changes the water from water to hot tea. It's really simple. It's just the steeper the soaker. So you have the dipper or you have the soaker. This is the difference between, I think, what a lot of us do versus what Jesus asked us to do. He didn't ask us to try to force ourselves to grow or change or do a whole lot of work to grow or change or 
hey, I'm so glad you joined the Christianity team. Now it's time for all the work to begin and you have to memorize 75 passages of scripture by, you know, May, go. You know, you know I, don't, I don't have to do a lot of human effort. I just stay connected to Jesus. This point of this series, we're in week three of this series called Abide. The point of the series is to remind you of the simplicity of what Jesus actually asks you to do in the middle of a crazy time in your life. Because particularly if you're in school, pressure's building, stuff's building, stuff's coming due, all these different things. In the midst of all of that, how do you grow? And it's just as simple as this, that the presence of Christ in my life, my daily connection to him, as he is present in my life, he transforms me because he's simply present. It's the difference between dipping or just letting it soak. This is what we're looking for in this uh, series called Abide. Now, here's what I want to go after today. And I'm going to be really honest with you. Speaking on Tuesday nights is very difficult because sometimes I hear people say, you're not deep enough. And I, I, you know, I'm like, well, you know, who made you the king of deepness, first of all. But second of all, um, I, I can sometimes get where they're saying that because particularly if they're just taking one week they just take one week and they kind of, that wasn't deep enough for me. I have to communicate to a wide range of people here. I have people in front of me right now, some of whom are probably non-believers. I have some people in front of me who are believers who might be going backwards. And then I have some sold outs. And I think the sold outs always are like, go super deep for us. You know, well, I'm like, well, I got two other groups to think about as well. So some weeks I really just target one of those groups. And I just say for the rest of you, just Bear with me, I'm going to target this group. But today is all, this is an all call. This is everybody, whether you are a non-believer or you are a Christian who is maybe falling apart and your life's going backwards spiritually, or you're going great. Everything's, and in fact, the answer to these questions might alarm some of you. Like the questions themselves should alarm you. The verse we're going to read should really alarm you, but the answers really, really, really should alarm you. Here's the questions I want to go after today is this. Number one, what happens when someone does not abide in Jesus? What happens when someone doesn't abide? Difference between dipper and soaker. What happens when, you know, they just don't abide in Jesus? Okay, question two, what is God? And and Jesus defines God in John 15, the passage we've been here. If you haven't been here, this might not make sense, but it's in John 15. Jesus defines God as the vine dresser or the gardener. Okay, so what is God's response when a branch does not abide? Okay, and then question three, what does God do with a rotten branch? So today what I want to talk about is really found in verse 6 and 7 of John chapter 15. We're going to read it, and then I'm going to set the whole thing up. So here it is, John 15, verse 6. Ready? Here's what it says. If anyone does not abide in me, seems like he's answering our questions. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and he withers, and the branches are gathered, they are thrown into the fire, and they are burned. That's alarming. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Today, here's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about the reality of something you might not have known and even exist, but I guarantee you've experienced it. I guarantee you've experienced it. In fact, I just have a hunch, call it God's intuition in my mind. I have a hunch many of you are experiencing it right now. I want to talk to you about the reality of this thing that I'm going to call soul rot soul rot. 
What is soul rot? It's really similar in a lot of ways to physical rot. You've probably been around something that's physically decaying or physically rotting. It's not fun. If you have kids one day, this is going to be your life. Kids bring in nothing but rot and decay to your life. Um, Olivia, the youngest one who will kill you if you look at her wrong, um, she, uh, we have a rule with Olivia. She's five. We have a rule that is don't take food into your room. It's a simple rule. It's really because we just don't want insects, you know, and she has a tendency to leave food everywhere. So we'll say, don't take food into your room. Well, she breaks that rule all the time. And the way she breaks that rule is she just, you know, kind of slyly takes food in. And then we know that she knows that she's breaking the rule because she hides food. The problem with hiding food is we don't know you've hidden it until we find it weeks later. Right? So she can take in a peanut butter sandwich, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. She'll take it into her room, eat like two or three bites, and then she hears one of us coming and she hides it under her bed. Now, the problem is, is that we don't clean under her bed just a whole lot. I know Faith and like Marin and some of you clean freaks are like, oh my God. We don't clean underneath our five year old's bed a whole lot. Call CPS, I dare you. All right, so here's the deal. We don't clean under a bed a lot, so it's like two or three weeks, and we find what happens when a peanut butter sandwich has been sitting there for two or three weeks. Disgusting. Even grosser than that is what happens to a sippy cup full of milk when it's left in a hot car for multiple days. There's a couple years ago, I took both my girls and I put them in my truck, and we were going somewhere, and it was hot. It was middle of summer. And one of them said, I'm thirsty. And I looked in the rearview mirror, and I saw a sippy cup sitting in her chair. And I go, oh, no problem. You got a sippy cup full of water. Because normally, I don't let anything other than water in my car. Because if you've met my kids, you understand. And so I'm like, you got water sitting right beside you. And so they grab the sippy cup. It is not full of water. It is full of chunky goodness, right? And they take a sip, and immediately all over my seats, and now the car smells like sour, chunky milk. It's a lot of fun, a lot of rotten decay going on in there. But the worst is when your kid comes home. These are all things that have happened. Your kid comes home on the last day of school and takes all of their school stuff, including their lunchbox, and throws the lunchbox into the deep recesses of our pantry. We don't know about that, that it still had food in it. And then we don't open up that lunchbox again till the end of August when school starts. And so from May to August, you know, this half a sandwich and some strawberries have been sitting in this thing and you open up the lunchbox and your whole kitchen is filled with this wondrous aroma, right? Like you get physical rot. The moral of all those stories, by the way, is don't have children. Just don't have them. Just don't have kids. Your life will be so much easier. You're welcome. Um, But you get what physical rot is, And spiritual rot is very similar to that. In fact, here's what we know. I mean, we just know this, right? That left to our own devices for long enough, every single one of us, there's not a person in here that gets out of it, including me, the presenter of what I'm talking about. Left to our own devices for any length of time, we will slowly but surely wander away from God. And when we wander away from God, we start experiencing what I would call kind of soul rot, this decay, this nastiness creeps. And in fact, there's this old hymn that we still sing because it's a great hymn. It's called Come Thou Fount of Many Blessings. Here's what the author of that hymn wrote. It'll be on the screen. Prone to wonder, 
Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. The author is, in other words, the person that wrote this is sitting there going, this has been the story of my life. I get it right for a little while, and then I get complacent, and I start wondering again, and I wander away. He's like, this is who I am. I am prone to live for that course. But in other words, make it impossible for me to wander away, because this is what I do. And this is what we all do. Listen, there's not a single person in this church that is above this. Pastor, this is true for Pastor Bob as it is true for you. It's true for every single one of us. Is all of us. We are prone to wonder. And when we wonder, we allow this decay to start to come in. This soul rot kind of starts coming in. What causes soul rot? This is kind of the, the part of the passage for you who would say, I'm sure I'm a believer, but I'm kind of going backwards. Okay, and I'm going to hit the other two groups, but for those of you who say, maybe I'm sure I'm a believer, but I'm kind of going backwards. What causes soul kind of rot, decay? I'm going to give you three things really quick. First is this. When we choose anything other than Christ as our God, it will cause a rot. I talked about this last week. It's fine to want things, particularly if they're good. It's fine to want them. You want a romantic relationship? That's fine. You were made for it. That's fine. However, if you make the romantic relationship your God, you're going to start experiencing soul rot. It wasn't meant to be your God. It's fine to want achievement. It's fine to want success. It's fine to want these things. It's fine to even want money. It's fine. That's okay. The problem is is when you make them your God, when you think any of these things is going to give you life or transformation or purpose or meaning, when you start putting that kind of faith in stuff, you're going to start to experience some decay. But a second thing is this, when rot happens oftentimes, and this is probably true for a bunch of people in this room, when rot happens, it's oftentimes because of some type of unrepentant, unconfessed sin. You know, you know what it is you're doing. You know that it is against what God has said to do, and yet you're doing it anyway. I don't know if you think he's not watching Or I don't know if you're just betting that he'll forgive you one day and you'll just be okay. I don't know why you're doing it. The answers could be any number of things. They're all pointless anyways. The point is this, is that when you're living contrary to what God has said, I'm telling you, you're going to start experiencing some decay, some rot in your spiritual life. But there's a third way that rot happens, and that is an unhealthy response to a circumstance. I'll give you two examples. The first example is this. Say you're just going along life and everything's fine, and then all of a sudden calamity hits. Something bad happens in your family. Something happened, bad happens in your personal life. And your response in that moment is this. Now a bad circumstance has hit. You choose a response, and your response is, forget God. If God were real, this wouldn't be happening forget him, I'm walking away. Your response to that tragedy or whatever's going on in your life is distance between me and God, not, oh, this is going to drive me closer. You go the opposite way. Listen, you do that, I promise. Some rot, some decay is going to come as a part of that choice. Or here's another one. Maybe it hits more people. You're going through life, everything's fine. And then somebody does something that really hurts you. I'm not talking about, you know, cut, that guy cut me off and, you know, flipped me the bird. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody that you know, that you really love, that you really care about, really does something to betray or hurt you. In that moment, you have a choice. 
I'm not saying forgiveness is instantaneous, but you have a choice. Either get on the road to forgiveness or get on the road to bitterness. And many of us choose to get on the road to bitterness and just go down that way. Listen, we're going against God's word in that moment. When we do that, I promise you, rot or decay is going to follow. Now listen, the reasons why soul rot happens are actually not as important as what soul rot looks like. In other words, diagnosing why you're kind of decaying inside is not as important as figuring out what does decay inside of me look like. Because you need to know that the problem's inside of you so you to solve the problem. You can spend all day long trying to figure out why you got where you are, or you can just figure out where you are and get back on track, right? Doesn't that make sense? So what does soul rot look like? Here's what soul rot looks like. It'll be on the screen. Soul rot looks like stagnation. It looks like stench, and it looks like a lack of fruit. Stagnation, stench, lack of fruit. What does that mean? Here's here's what stagnation means. Let's just one word at a time. Any of you who have ever been around pools, or been around like ponds or tanks, you know this. Water's got to keep moving. Water's got to keep moving. The moment that water doesn't move is the moment you got problems. Decay, rot, mold, all that stuff is coming in, right? Stagnation. You got to keep the water moving. Listen, there are tons of us, and I'm telling y'all, I am just as much under this message as y'all are tonight. There are tons of us who are growing stagnant in our walk with God. What does stagnant look like? Here's what stagnant looks like. It looks like apathy. It looks like a lack of passion. It looks like lukewarmness. Here's one. It's just being okay with the way things are. I'm not growing. I haven't grown. I haven't really heard from God in a long time. I'm not really seeing any growth in my life. I'm not really making any connections. I'm not passionate about this. I've kind of lost my desire. I'm kind of just lukewarm. I just kind of come and sit at the bridge. It doesn't really do anything. I'm just kind of, okay, I've grown stagnant in my walk with God. Listen, when you grow stagnant in your walk with God, when you're not pushing, when you're like, no, like David says in the Psalms, like, I want to know more of you. I want to see more of you. Moses is like, God, I want to see your face. And he's like, you can't see my face. You'll die if you see my face. He's like, well, then show me what you can show me. I'm not satisfied with just being in your presence. I want to see you. I want to go as far as I can. Listen, if that's not you and you're just going, eh, you know, it's just whatever. I'm just kind of apathetic about the whole thing. Listen, stagnation always, always, always leads to rot. What happens next is this. Soul, soul rot looks like stagnation. And it looks like stench. The next thing that happens after you've been stagnant, the season of apathy, lack of passion, not caring, just okay, always starts to stink. And what always, almost always, always stinks is your attitude. I mean, it's true for me. A stinky attitude looks like this. It looks like anger. It looks like a person who's constantly obsessed with retreating or escaping, living in this other world that they're creating for themselves. A lack of compassion, sinful or disobedient tendencies, rebellion. You're just going, you know what, I I don't care. For me, I'll tell you, you can tell quickly when I'm not right, when kind of rot and decay have kind of set in, because here what ultimately starts happening is first my anxiety spikes, and second my depression comes after, And then after that is immediately anger. And I start lashing out at people who have nothing to do with anything because I'm just angry. Why am I angry? I've been stagnant for a while. It's just a progression. Begins to stink. So soul rot looks like stagnation stench. And then Jesus just says this. Look, if you want to know the best way, 
You want to know the best way to know if soul rot's taking root in your life? Here it is. It's just a lack of fruit. Because fruit is simply this. It's the external evidence of an internal change. That's all fruit is. So Jesus would say, are you growing in love? Are you growing in joy, peace? How about patience? What about kindness? What about goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Are you growing in these fruit? Are they evident? Are they coming out? Are they strong? Are they good or are they not? Because it's one or the other. There's external evidence or there isn't. Stagnation, stench, lack of fruit. So Jesus would say this to you guys tonight. I think to me too. This is, I'm telling you, I'm as much in the crosshairs of this as you are. Jesus would say to every single one of us tonight, what about you? What about you? Where are you at? Are you stagnated spiritually? Stand still? Is there kind of a stench off of your life? I mean, you know how you've been with people lately. Has it been a representative of Christ or have you kind of just been like a jerk, you know? What about the lack of fruit? Like, where are you? So, okay, we can kind of figure out why we got there. Maybe we can kind of see that we are there. So what do we do if we go, okay, I'm a believer, but I'm kind of going backwards. Like, my, I kind of got a little bit of soul rot to me. What do I do? There's two things. The first is this. Addressing soul rot means that we must be honest about where we are. In other words, we have to admit and repent. Listen, this is so basic. It's stupid that I have to cover it. However... There's so many people that get confused about this. The first thing to getting a problem solved is to acknowledge that there is a problem. You can continue to live in the stagnated stench cesspool of apathy and lack of passion and not moving forward and I'm just okay and yeah, I know it stinks, but it's just going to be what it is. You can be there for as long as you want, but if you notice that you are there, the first Thing to do is to get honest about the fact that I'm there. And it probably needs to be, there probably needs to be a time where you and God have a real heart to heart conversation about, I don't know how I got here, but I know I'm here. I admit this is where I'm at. And the word repent is a simple word that just means, and I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn. The great promise of scripture is this, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from our unrighteousness. Listen, if I will just be honest, hey, I'm in a bad place. I don't know how I got here. I don't know why I'm here, but I'm just in a bad place. God, would you reveal to me why I'm here? Would you show me what what do I need to change? What do I need to do? But I'm going to admit, I'm going to repent. Whatever you tell me, I'm going to do. We'll just get honest. That'll go a long way. But the, the question is, I've always wondered at, and the answer is actually in John 15, when you go, okay, so he's, he's faithful and just, got it. He'll forgive us, got it. And then he says this, he'll purify us. In other words, cleanse us from our unrighteousness. How do we get cleansed? If we got some soul rot. How do we get cleansed? Jesus himself gives the answer to how he cleanses us. It's in John 15. Look at the tie here between verse three and verse seven. I'm going to read three, four, and seven. Look at this. Ready? Already you are clean. That would be purified. Already you are clean. Why? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Then look at verse seven. If you abide in me. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish 
it'll be done. What's the, what's the tie between verse 3 and verse 7? It says that he's going to cleanse us, 1 John 1, 9. He's going to cleanse us and purify us of our unrighteousness. He's going to wash us and make us clean. How does he purify us? Jesus points the way. In John 15, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. In verse 3, he says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. In other words, when we're addressing soul rot, yes, we need to get honest and open about where we are. Yes, number one. But number two, here's, here's the second thing. Addressing soul rot means that we return to the word of God to cleanse us. Listen, I can't tell y'all how dumb I am. I wish I, could, I wish I could tell you how dumb I am. I can't. I'll try to set it up, but it won't do it justice. I'm so stupid. Do you want to know why I'm saying I'm stupid? Here's why. Every time I make gains spiritually, every time I'm growing, it is because I'm spending time with God in prayer and in his word. Every time I grow. And I get to a point of going, man, I feel really good about where I am. And then you know what I do? I take a break from word and from prayer. And what happens to me literally every time? How many times around this merry-go-round do I have to go before I realize this doesn't work? Because what ends up happening is I get stagnant, then I get stinky, and then I have no fruit. And a month goes by, or two months, or however long it takes, and all of a sudden I wake up and I go, I am not where I want to be. How did I get here? And when I backtrack how I got where I was, it's because I made the same dumb choice that I've always made. When we experience soul rot, we go back to the basics. I need to admit, confess, repent, and then I need to spend some time with the Lord on a regular daily basis in the Word and in praying. And for me, praying happens in journaling. I have to write my prayer out. I cannot keep my mind on track simply trying to pray, so I write it out. When I stay in that lane, it works. When I get outside that lane, it goes to heck real fast. Why do we keep doing it? Now, listen, that's for those of you in here who go, man, I'm a Christian. I'm sure I'm a Christian, but I've gone backwards. Okay, so we're seeing some soul rot. So this is what we need to do. But let's go back to the passage because here's what you need to see. God doesn't take rot lightly. That's what you need to see next. And this is where it can get kind of alarming. God doesn't take this stuff lightly. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and he withers and the branches then are gathered and they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. That verse should alarm you. If it doesn't, it's probably just you're not paying attention. Jesus just said, if a branch does not abide in me, God will lop that branch off of me, let it die, gather up all those dead branches, and cast them into the fire. The first questions we asked were, what does God do with a rotten branch? And what does God do if someone doesn't abide? And here's the answer. Not abiding equals a destination. But the bigger question is, and this is why it should alarm you, and hopefully I'll ease a little bit of your fear, but also keep a little bit of it there. The question is, is what Jesus asked, is what he's saying, is he saying this, that you can be a believer in Christ and lose your salvation? Because that'd be one way to interpret that passage. 
Because look at it. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and he withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, burned. Does this mean you can lose your salvation? Does this mean that you can come to faith in Christ at some point in your life? And because you chose sin later on and you went down that road and soul rot and soul rot and soul rot and soul rot, that you can finally outsend God's grace and God finally goes, fine, enough, cut you off, and you're going to hell? Does this mean that you can outsend God and ultimately lose your salvation? Some people would tell you that's the way, that's what that verse means. Let me tell you this we don't believe that you can lose your salvation. Baptists traditionally, we are Baptists in this church. You, you might, well, I'm not Baptist. Well, good for you, but this church is Baptist. Like We don't traditionally believe that you can lose your salvation. The reason is there's a lot of verses that tell us we can't lose our salvation. Let me just read you a few of them. Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. I'm sure of it. If Jesus started a good work in saving your soul, he's going to complete the work. Okay, John 10, 28, this is Jesus' words. Here's what Jesus says. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Jesus would say, if you're one of mine, you can't be taken away. Romans 8, 38 through 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us when we are in Christ, here's what we believe. If you have legitimately come to salvation, no, you cannot lose your salvation. But notice my emphasis on this word. If you have legitimately come to salvation. Legitimately. Because here's what I know, and here's what some of you know really well. It is super easy to walk an aisle and pray a prayer, particularly when your best friend's saying, come with me and do it for them. It's really easy to walk an aisle and pray a prayer when grandma's like, you need to get baptized. It's really easy to get into a baptistry and get wet. It's really easy to make people in your life happy. It's really easy to just mumble something and go along and never actually put your faith in Christ. We would say to anybody who could legitimately say, no, I know what I believed. I know in that moment I put my faith and and my trust in Jesus, what he did on the cross. I believe that he rose from the dead. I put my faith in him. I've gone backwards at times, but I know that I know that I know that I put my faith in him. And I would tell you, then great, you can't lose your salvation. But there are some of you who have fallen through so many cracks. In this room right now, there are people who have fallen through so many cracks. Because no one's ever just asked you, have you put your faith in Christ? What does this verse mean? John 15, 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and he withers and the branches are gathered. They're thrown to the fire and they're burned. Let's set it up this way. Keep in mind that Jesus is teaching in John 15 to a very small group of people called his disciples. There was 12 of them. Here's the thing about the disciples. They looked like followers of Christ. Many of them had given up businesses, family members to follow him. They had perfect attendance for three years. They heard everything that Jesus preached. They heard everything he taught. They saw every miracle that he performed. I mean, these guys look like sold out followers. Not only that, but Jesus divided them up in pairs and sent them out and they preached and they taught and they performed miracles. These people look like sold out followers of Christ. They all look like branches attached to a vine, except there was one among them who looked like he was always with them, but in actuality, he was never with them. 
There was one of the 12 who looked like he was always with them, except he was really never with them. You might know the story. It's Judas. Judas sells out Christ and then betrays him, gives him a kiss. The guards arrest him. And then in despair, he realizes what he does. He goes away and he kills himself, commits suicide. This man for three years looked like a branch to the outside world. He looked like a branch that was connected to a vine, that vine being Jesus. He looked the part. He had fooled everyone, but he had not fooled Jesus. Jesus in his teaching was going, nope, listen, there's one of you who looks the part, but I promise you this, my father is about to cut you off because you were never connected to me. Listen, this happens all of the time. It still happens today. God knows that in this room, there are maybe one, two, maybe a bunch, but there are some of you who look the part. You, to the outside world, you look like you're following Christ because you go to church every now and then, or you're around the stuff, or maybe you're here because you're on the fence still. You're still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus, and that's fine. We're okay with that. We just want you to know that at some point you need to come to a decision on what you're going to do with him. There's some of you who are here for bad reasons, and that's fine too. We accept you, but you're just here to be close to this person or that person. Or there's simply some of you here who have simply been around so long that no one has ever thought, a youth minister, a mom, a dad, nobody has ever thought to just straight up ask you, has there ever been a time in your life when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And because you've never been asked and you've never wanted to look dumb, you've sat in your seat. But listen, Jesus would say to you, I know the branches. I know who they are and I know who they aren't. And listen, that choice of indecision is eventually going to become a decision. Don't you know that? Indecision always becomes a decision. If I tell Levi, Levi, I just want a radio competition that's going to send me to Jamaica, all expense paid in two weeks. He's like, dude, that's awesome, right? You know, that's great. You know, Levi, always excited about everything. So he's so excited. And he goes, are you going to go? And I go, I don't know, man. I haven't decided yet. And he goes, when do you have to make a decision? Well, the plane leaves in two weeks. Okay. He sees me a week later. He says, hey man, you getting ready for Jamaica? I still don't know if I'm going to go yet. Well, when are you going to make the decision? Well, one week I got to make the decision because the plane leaves in one week. Okay. Two days before he sees me and he goes, hey man, are you going to go to Jamaica or not? I don't know, man. I haven't decided yet. I haven't figured it out. I don't know what I want to do. Part of me wants to go. Part of me, you know, I don't know. You know? And he's like, well, you, I guess you got to make that decision pretty quick. Now say the plane leaves on Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. And Levi sees me Sunday at 1.30 here in Wichita Falls. And he goes, hey man, I guess you decided not to go to Jamaica. I said, I don't know, man. I still haven't decided yet. At that point, Levi would go, you're an idiot. You have decided. It's Sunday, 1.30. You cannot pack, get ready, get to the airport, get on the plane. That door is shut. Indecision always eventually becomes decision. What Christ is trying to plead with every group that would listen to him is this. Look, you can play the part all you want, but you are either connected or you aren't and fall through all the cracks you want. But eventually there is one who knows. And eventually, if you die apart from Christ, there is a destination involved in that and is laid out in graphic detail. 
There is a destination. So here's what we do with this passage, and this is kind of where we hit this third group. Let's just say we go, okay, well, shoot, now I'm all confused because I feel like I got some soul right, or did I ever come to know Christ, or how can I ever really know that? All right, so what do we do with this passage? Ready? Two things, really quick, and I got to go quickly now. Ready? First is this. We must examine ourselves. We must examine ourselves. It's time. There comes a point when you have to make a a choice to kind of look inward and go, where am I with God? Examine yourself. Is there rot? Do you need to confess? Have you grown stagnant? Have you grown kind of stinky? Is your life kind of falling apart? Okay, what do you need to do? You need to examine yourself. Have you ever come to know Christ? Do you know that you know that you know? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith Test yourself. Why? Don't you realize this is about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Paul says, look, it's a normal part of walking with the Lord that you go, pause. I see rot. I see decay. Where am I? What do I need to confess? What do I need to make right? Or do I need to accept Christ because I've never accepted Christ before? There's some people in this room that simply need to stop, admit, repent, and turn. And then there's some of you, because you've fallen through all the cracks, that you need to come to a place where you go, no, tonight I'm accepting Christ. I'm putting my faith in Christ. I'm going to start the race now. Examine yourself. Test yourself. Where are you? I can't answer that question for you. I wish I could, but I can't. It's on you. But I'll tell you this, it's crucially important for you to do. The second is this. We must look out for others. We must look out and restore others. There are some of you in this, the last thing I'm going to say, there's some of you in this room who go, you know what? There is no soul rot in my life. I am doing great spiritually. Praise God. And you would go, I know that I know that I know that I accepted Christ and I have my faith in him. And I'm, that's, that decision's in the past. And I know I've never doubted it and I'm good and I'm feeling great and things are going great. Great. And here's what I would challenge you to do. Restore others because here's what I see all the time in college ministry. It's the slow fade. You know people that are twisting off. You know people that are disappearing. Why is it that literally every college ministry across the country, not just here, across the country. Why is it that we start off with a huge number in the fall, and by this point, we're down? Why is it that we were at 180, 190, and like we're like 105, 110? Why is that? It's a slow fade, where people just go, oh yeah, I'm really serious about this whole God thing, and then they just start to disappear. Listen, you know these people. And it's your, it's up to you to restore, to reach out, to say, hey, I'm worried about you. Are you okay? We miss you. We want you to come back. Hey, I'm concerned about the choices you're making. Do you know what's going to happen? Are you, do you know what's going on in your life? Like not in a judgmental way, but in a way where you say, I'm looking out for you. I love you. I'm not judgmental. I'm not self-righteous. I'm just concerned about you. You know these people. This is what James is talking about in James chapter 5, verse 19. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. James says, it's not, if you're going, oh, I'm great. No, so right. I'm confident in my relationship with Christ. Then this life is no longer about you. This life is about how you serve other people. If you see people slowly disappearing off, it's up to you. You're the, you're the person. It's you. 
to say, hey, what's going on with you? What's happening in your life? You've been gone. We miss you. I miss you. How can I pray for you? What can I do for you? It's you. You're the one standing in the gap. This could be a person that is falling through so many cracks and all they're looking for is one person to say, hey, I notice it's up to you. You restore them, not in a judgmental way. Take the log out of your own eye here. Admit your own sinfulness, but you go to them out of love. You restore them. So here's what I want to ask tonight, and I'm going to close. Where are you? Where are you? One of three places, really. One, you're a believer who's sure of their salvation, but man, you got a lot of decay. A lot of decay. We can talk about why. That's fine. But you got a lot of decay. You admit, you confess, you turn, you turn back to God's word. Or maybe you're in this room and you go, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I've never, no one's ever actually asked me, have I put my faith in Christ before? I don't think I've done that. Okay. Let's talk about that tonight. Let's solve that once and for all. You can know tonight that that issue is solved and you have peace with God. Or you could be one of the ones that goes, man, I'm just great. I'm just cruising along. Well, then here, look, listen, it's time for you to go be an ambassador. Go bring people back. Don't let them fall away from you. Don't. Don't do that. That's not what Christ would do. Don't do that. Let me pray for us. Bye.